welcome to episode one of Compliance Bite by Lavin. Today I'm joined by one of my most senior colleagues, Andrew Welsh, who has over 30 years in the financial services industry and a particular focus on aspects of fraud and financial crime. Today, we're going to be talking about anti-money laundering. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Jerome. So, Andrew, what do you see as the main themes in this space at the moment? Well, we're seeing four main themes. Um, the first one is regulators are looking at resource allocation. Uh, as you know, fraud tends to have a direct loss to firms because firms are the victim and there's a direct financial, financial loss to them. Most firms spend 90% of their monitoring time on fraud prevention and 10% on anti-money laundering. So with money laundering crime, firms don't suffer a loss, otherwise the activity would be identified quickly. Typically, money launderers don't want to be identified, so, making, so use masking techniques to uh, prevent that. So the regulatory authorities would like to see these percentages reversed and for firms to spend 30% of resources on fraud prevention and 70% on anti-money laundering. So expect to see more encouragement from regulators to achieve this. That's great. Can I pause you there just to try and understand a bit better? Why do you think firms spend so little on anti-money laundering? Why just 10%? Basically, it's a byproduct of the monitoring for, uh, for fraud. And um, a lot of people will spend all that money just to prevent the card losses or the, the, the loss, of, loss of financial loss from all sorts of different types of uh, fraud. And as a byproduct of that, um, they may come up with an anti-money laundering alert or they may not. But in the past, most people haven't really bothered. They've, they've concentrated most on card fraud and uh, various aspects of other types of fraud. And in practice, if the regulator is looking for uh, firms or, or your clients to increase that to 30%, what can it mean? Uh, they expect to see more alerts. They expect to see more um, um, reports. And uh, they expect to see uh, resources, adequate resources allocated to the, to the task. Okay, so, so perhaps more staff and more tools. And I guess that takes us to one of the other major themes is, is the use of artificial intelligence in all this. That's right. That's another main theme. We see particularly banks are using more artificial intelligence to spot unusual patterns in payments. They're moving from basic rule-based AI onto alerts for complex payment patterns with false client identities. It's fair to say that details of each new conviction are used to amend the AI programming, which search for these patterns. International banks have now standardized their data formats and storage methods across all their jurisdictions, which was in the past a barrier. And this means artificial intelligence can search payment databases globally with the same programs and help identify terrorist and money laundering patterns across multiple jurisdictions. Of course, it's the payment patterns of money flows which are being identified, so the data is anonymized to cover privacy issues. I guess I should mention something about cyber issues. Um, and working from home, we're seeing an increase in things like phishing attacks, getting through firewalls, some are quite sophisticated, appearing to come from banks, utility providers, and some messages attach apparent YouTube videos, which require a click to see the content. And we're seeing messages masquerading as client emails, offering COVID loans. In fact, I got an email last week offering a private COVID immunization, but also asking for my bank details to pay for it. 
Uh, we've seen theft of identity to claim a COVID loan in another person's name. And these messages play on people's vulnerabilities associated with working from home. I think firms generally have underestimated the social contribution of the work environment. Just being able to say to a work colleague next to you, does this message look like a scam to you? So that just doesn't happen with uh, working from home. So our theme is keep assessing systems for vulnerabilities and ask your IT people to alert with cyber hygiene messages such as think before you click to prevent virus threats. And always check return email addresses for safety. Remember, no firewall gives you 100% protection. So that, that's really, really uh, important. I think there's two points here in this cyber world is, on the one hand, we're benefiting from artificial intelligence, AI's advancement, and um, I guess regulated entities using software to protect against anti-money laundering. And that itself probably concerns two aspects, the aspect of identity recognition, and then the aspect of transactions that would be suspicious. Yeah. And again here, to a degree, there's still a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. Um, and I see that because in the industry, what we've seen is, is an advance on both fronts. But I was discussing this with someone recently. It reminds me a little bit about the um, market risk uh, approach in the past. Everybody was using their own systems. Every system was different. Everyone had an Excel sheet. And then software came along, built risk management programs, and the whole industry was not always very prompt to adopt that. And, and I think that was over the last 15 years, and now it's probably in place. Yeah. With AML, a lot of people have their own manual systems uh, on the identity side, on the transaction side. It's sort of probably mostly manual, although data there can be used to be logged into systems that can verify if there is a suspicion because of a transaction's nature. But again, yeah. more improvements needed. Yeah. And on the other, you, you've jumped to a completely uh, different but but very connected problem, which is we're all working from home. We're getting tons of potentially fraudulent emails, and those are affecting um, the risk to 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 fraud. It's not directly related to the risk of anti-money laundering, but naturally that money made from fraud is is money laundering yeah. and finance crime and and terrorism. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And where, so um, where, where do you see that that so in that context we've had a few directives, uh, the sixth is just coming up, the fifth is in place, the fourth preceded it. Are those directives seeking to address some of those parts to try and make the, the, the whole industry more standardized and whole? Definitely. Um, the fourth directive, in the 2017 regulations, they, they're a result of the fourth directive, and they target really organizations which make lots of payments. So we find banks looking at ongoing monitoring of a business relationship requirement, which is in Regulation 28. And this requires regular scrutiny of transactions and reviews of customer due diligence, due diligence measures. So banks want to be comfortable with firms which are deemed as higher risk by the Treasury and money service businesses fall straight into this area. So the banks are looking for independent assessments of these high-risk firms, becoming uh, th these independent assessments are becoming increasingly common so that the banking relationship can continue. The banks don't want to uh, provide banking services to firms which they see as high-risk because it affects their own risk rating. And we see this as a way for banks to de-risk their relationships in that sector. So the concept of a money laundering audit is quite prevalent now. Going on to the fifth directive and the impact of that, um, 
that's introducing better electronic verification or EV. And it's now much easier with the fifth directive. So um, to enable uh, the use of a third party provider of EV services, an assessment was needed previously. So you had to go through and you had to assess the provider. And that, that was a long winded um, uh, procedure. Now the fifth directive introduced the IDAS regulation. So adopting EV is now much easier for firms. There's now a registration process for, um, I, uh, for EV providers and with the Information Commissioner's Office. And more importantly, we're seeing more use of new identity tools being developed. And these systems are based on facial recognition systems used by security forces. So a selfie is now biometrically matched against a photo ID. And this is an exciting development. In fact, some marketers are claiming that non-face-to-face -face verification is now the same as face-to-face -face verification, which, which is a real um, game changer. Um, what else we're seeing is crypto authorizations. These have generally been struggling with the administration involved with money laundering and the retail ban on the product as well. Uh, also for beneficial ownership registers, which are coming in, and that will enable ownership records to be public. Although the recent move by the US to restrict access, access to the ownership register could be a problem. Uh, and there's also the disclosure uh, conflict, which money laundering officers know about, where data privacy rules say no to disclosure, but money laundering regulations say yes to disclosure. So you've got that conflict between two, um, two uh, regulations. So make sure that all false positives are correctly addressed to avoid this issue. If your name's on the sanctions list, it's pretty easy to get another identity and acquire corporate vehicles in different jurisdictions aren't really a problem. However, in many countries, it is now becoming increasingly difficult to have control of a company without disclosure. And we see this as a positive move from uh, ML, uh, from the fifth directive. Um, now, lockdown itself, that's produced um, uh, problems because if, if you've tried to open a bank account during lockdown, um, we're seeing a physical presence of all signatories now being in a requirement before a bank account can be active. And of course, there's all sorts of difficulties getting to a bank and, and being physically present, particularly if some of your signatories are abroad. Can I, can I pick up on a couple of points just whilst you were talking about um, the fifth directive, but also potentially with, with regard to the fourth directive? You mentioned money service businesses and um, it seems to me that they in their own right have been under scrutiny and, and probably quite hard hit by the rules that pertain to them because they're very retail driven. Yeah. Is that what you've seen in your experience of the market? Yeah, what we're seeing is the, these, these firms were out of scope before, before the um, directive came in. So they're not really used to the level of intrusion which um, um, money laundering monitoring brings and being regulated brings. And it's been a slow process for some of them and quite an expensive process for uh, others as well. And, and the, the, the concept that you've got to introduce checks to make sure customers are who they say they are can and, and, and has been a bit of a deterrent. And, and it sometimes some firms look at that as a business prevention uh, regulation. And I think that's probably the wrong way to look at it because the, the, the objective is to reduce financial crime. And, and the crypto firms that you say have been now impacted by the fifth directive, are they in a similar position? Is, is it sort of the fourth directive for the 
uh, money service businesses, and then the fifth directive on crypto, reducing access to business or educating them to a more modern way of life? Um, well, as I said, it's twofold. Um, they've they previously weren't regulated at all, and now they're in the UK they're regulated by the FCA uh, for their money laundering, uh, for their customer capture, which involves money laundering verifications of customers. And that's from the 1st of January this year. And that involves a lot of administration, checking IDs, um, checking electronic footprints. And previously, these firms didn't have anything like that in place. So they've got to introduce and change their procedures accordingly. And that compounded by the retail ban on, on these products, uh, that, that hasn't helped either. So the, the source of revenue which generated uh, the need for those checks has kind of disappeared. And so, so, so presumably, these types of, of firms now having to have more professionals internally, potentially work more with people like you, potentially right. develop their own AML systems uh, with EV service providers if that's what they want to use to be faster in terms of getting clients in. Yeah. That's adding to a lot. And then you were talking about um, independent assessments. So again, in your line of work, you're being asked to do those. And if you are, are you being asked to do those on behalf of the businesses directly or by the service providers like you were talking about the banks who might service those other service providers uh, it's both really um, but whatever happens whichever way you look at it the firms involved with cryptos are having to put a lot more capital expenditure in to the product in the first place to get it going uh, because of these regulations and some of those people don't have as uh, the, the kind of deep pockets that you would need to, to be able to do that. Yeah, okay. So it's going to potentially uh, make it a little bit harder at a time where things economically already a bit hard, but right. yeah. it is to help the industry, which until now perhaps was a little bit too lax. Um, yeah. I want to touch on another point still within what you, you've just commented on. You were talking about um, data protection rules, so the GDPR, which I think in its own right, uh, and we might do a compliance bite um, a, a series on that, but has also evolved and changed recently. But you were, you were talking about false positives uh, to be correctly ad uh, addressed to avoid issues. Do, have you got examples of, of uh, potentially where clients have struggled with the two? What do you, do you mean by that? Um, yeah, it's um, the, every, every firm has a system of alerts to alert them to potential wrongdoing activity. And some firms have adopted the approach, will be reported anyway, because uh, it affects our statistics. And we may be seen to be a, a better firm if we report everything. But you, you have to be careful because if, 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 the, if the alert it doesn't really look as if it is um, a, a, an active money laundering case, uh, you have to ask the question why you're reporting it and does this, if, if it turns out that it's definitely not, have you breached your GDPR rules by uh, uh, by reporting this? It, it's, a, it's a conundrum. Um, and uh, if you look at the rules, there's no right answer, there's no wrong answer. But uh, our recommendation is just to make sure that false positives are correctly addressed by the money laundering officer uh, to avoid the issue. That's very clear. Thank you very much for that. So I guess another small point that you touched on, but you did say, you know, during lockdown, there are still areas of business, notably opening a bank account where you do need, um, you know, uh, wet signatures, as it were, yeah. or physical presence. I think it's also yeah. the case in, in mortgages uh, and, and, you know, buying and selling uh, um, houses would be impacted by that. That's right. Um, yeah. 
that sounds like it leaves at least a part of the population, especially, I guess, the more vulnerable in a precarious position. Do you see any, um, any talk about the government or, or the FCA uh, trying to make that less relevant so that we can be in a more digital world? Uh, to be honest, I think I think they're they're more focused on on controlling the pandemic than actually looking at some of the effects of it, um, because there are there are other effects. But uh, opening a bank account, I mean, that really applies to new companies because every new company needs a bank account. Uh, if if you're an individual, the chances are ninety nine point nine percent of people have already fully banked, and um, they may be attracted to a, a different proposition from another bank. But um, you will probably notice that the advertising along those lines has been curtailed in the last year or so, because changing bank accounts is a serious problem at the moment. Right. Yeah. And I guess that takes us to the Six Directive. So what's that all about? Well, it's, it's effective from the 3rd of June, which is a few months time. So MLROs and firms should make sure their policies, procedures and particularly their risk assessments are updated. So speak to your EV provider about how they can help with the increased screening and monitoring requirements. Pretty much anyone with any sort of criminal record will now be subject to enhanced due diligence. So you have to identify these people by your EU provider, and this is key. So please ask your, please ask your providers about their coverage of this matter. Aiding and abetting and inciting are two new criminal uh, uh, um, procedures, processes which which uh, so you should ensure your training material is reviewed to include them. That's, that's so that's very important to make sure your training covers that um, particular point. It seems, it's, it seems it's, it's a bit like quite serious for firms, actually. Yeah. It's a bit similar to the, to the senior manager regime and trying to always uh, capture the whole structure of the firm, including management, where there are uh, identified failures rather than trying to pinpoint to a staff who would have made a mistake yeah. or been wrong. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, look, I think we're, we're, uh, we're at the end of this uh, incredibly interesting interview. Um, I know that you had discussed with me the fact that there were very large fines out there, um, including 23 million fine on MT Global, which was a, an FX brokerage. So I guess the message is be aware, be careful, and take the right steps to protect yourselves and your teams. Uh, to be honest, Jerome, that was a whopper, 23 million pounds. Uh, MT Global is a small foreign exchange company in Luton, but they had one director and had almost 200 appointed representatives at the firm. Um, clearly a very high risk venture. And of course, the failures were seen to be a management failure rather than an employee problem. So that resulted in the high risk. And by the way, the uh, HMRC website lists these fines and it gives the individual regulations which were breached. And it does make very interesting reading. So um, I, I would advise people watching this to look at that website and make the appropriate um, deductions from it. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. Um, I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to Andrew's comments. Um, feel free to leave your own comments here or, or share um, or reach out if you've got any questions. At this stage, it comes to the time for me to say thank you, merci, and have a great week. My pleasure, Jerome. Thank you.